hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Three, two. Thank you very much for joining us again at Hamster with a Blunt Penknife as we tackle the final episode of Death to the Daleks. So part three ended with a cliffhanger, a very odd cliffhanger, and we were having some debate as to why, why the cliffhanger was like that and what the original cliffhanger would have been. Mm-hmm. George, you were absolutely right uh, when you said that the cliffhanger should have been the Daleks. According to the complete history, Part three was running short while part four was over length. Consequently, the cliffhanger between the two episodes was moved from the direct threat to the Doctor and Bilal of the Daleks cornering them in an alcove to a more passive sequence showing the duo finding a patterned floor. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, that floor's pretty hideous. (laughs) That's a lovely way of putting it, a passive sequence. (laughs) Can I just say then, uh, set the record straight, uh, people, some people have deemed to suggest that some of my facts on this thing are erroneous or sketchy at best. And there's proof that I know what I'm talking about. There you go, you are, you're absolutely bang on with that. Um, do you know what? There's a moment in Frontier in Space as well, right? Episode one, where the Ogrons storm onto the ship and Joe Grant looks up and the Ogron comes right down over her. And I swear to God, that was supposed to be the cliffhanger as well, because it's shot exactly like a cliffhanger. And it ends with yeah. that man just going, you know, oh, they're the dragons. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like it, doesn't it? And there's a lot of dodgy um, moving about of scenes in the Pertwee era. Mark, our good friend Fraser Gregory, has hit us, although I'm going to fire it at you, with a question. Okay. I think it's a very leading question at that, you know. Um, does Terry Nation deserve his reputation as a predictable plodding hack? <laughs> I think, I no, I disagree. I don't think he's a predictable plodding hack. I think he's a very good hack. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> I think what he does, <laughs> he does very well. He does use the same cookie cutter, but it, it, he makes good cookies. He does make good cookies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think if you're going to think about like archetypal Doctor Who, like perfect stereotypical Doctor Who, he's just got it, hasn't he? From the Daleks onwards, you know? Yeah. And and he does, he, he does as we've kind of said a few times, he doesn't make the most of, it, of the great ideas that he has, but he does have great ideas. And, you know, he knows how to, uh, you know, put a situation together where throw people into danger and all the rest of it. I think he does the same things with his TV series, you know. He did the same thing with Survivors. He created this phenomenally dark, apocalyptic drama. Mm. I know he handed it over to Terrence Dudley and it became about farming, but, like, it didn't really go anywhere, that. And then, obviously, he created Blake Seven, which was, you know, obviously had legs, but really it probably wasn't until Chris Bouch came in that it started to show its real potential. So it's like, he's a great, maybe he should have been the script editor, like got the ideas, mm-hmm. man, you know? Yeah, or somebody, uh, somebody like Sidney Newman, or, you know, he was, you know, kind of came up with the bare bones of Doctor Who and then, you know, let other people run with it sort of thing. Yeah. Barry Lett says, like, um, there's like a danger every five minutes with a Terry Nation script. So there's a lot of suspense. You always go from one set piece to another. Um, mm-hmm. Harris Dix calls him like a page turner. Yeah. 
which is ironic, really, because then Terrence Dix writes all the target novels of his books and turns, yeah. <laughs> turns them into page turners. That's it. It's basically like the Dan Brown thing. Like you, you couldn't say that a Dan Brown book was particularly well written, but they <laughs> they're page turners because they're there's there's sort of cliffhangers at the end of a lot of, of very short chapters, um, and you do keep reading despite yourself, really. Well, Mark, we've got more of the same in episode four, I'm afraid. I don't think this thing is going to end in a particularly compelling fashion. So I have prepared some questions for you as we go through this final episode. Are you ready? Perfect. Let's, Let's go. In three, two, one. Off we go. So your start for 10 is this. is that okay. I said in the last episode that Bilal was potentially going to be a Doctor Who companion. Mm -hmm. who is your ultimate could have been a companion oh uh can i that's a good my mind my mind immediately went to duggan but that's such an obvious answer isn't it that's that's probably the one that a lot of people would say oh do you know he'd enliven season 18 knowing wouldn't he (laughs) go around punching pangol (laughs) (laughs) You would. I need. I need to think of something a bit, a bit less obvious because there's, uh, there's, there's all the obvious ones, isn't there? The, the, the you know, there's the girl from um, the faceless ones. I've forgotten the name. Uh, oh, Sam Briggs. Yeah. Who, who would be an unusual one that would, uh, that would liven things up? Professor like, Amelia Rumford. Yes. Yeah. She, she would have been brilliant. Um. And I think I think Tom Baker would have really responded well to that as well. Mm. Um, it's like the Mrs. Wibsey in the uh, in the Scottish Chronicles, isn't it? He um, he really responds to to that kind of character well. Is that Susan Jameson? Yeah, she was in a Spectre of Lanyon Moor as well, basically playing the same character, mad eccentric. Do you know who else would have been good? Uh, what's her name? Aunt Vanessa. Aunt, imagine Aunt Vanessa and yeah. Aunt Baker knocking around the universe together. They'd be pissed as houses every week, wouldn't they? Yeah. If it was Tegan that had got shrunk and, uh, and Aunt Vanessa had wandered into the TARDIS instead. That would have been a good kind of uh, reversible expectations, wouldn't it? Uh, the, uh, like the young, pretty woman is killed and then her auntie comes along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pete, uh, I, I thought to call you Pete then. Your name is not Pete, is it? It's Mark. No, yes. <laughs> I should know that name well. Um, have you ever played hopscotch in your life? I haven't. I haven't. No. Have you? No, this has put me off. This is. It's very yes. <laughs> And Did you ever meet John Pertwee? No, although I've had a few people on here that have, and no, one of them has told me a pleasant story. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I, I met him and uh, I thought he was great. But I mean, I just I met him at a convention and uh, I was only like, 13 or so how old would have been it was two months before he died so he died in 96 so i've been about 15 14 15 maybe but um yeah i thought he was terrific he was just you know like a star quality sort of thing he was just sort of larger than life he was on stage you know had the uh, had the audience uh you know in the palm of his hands he had all these well-polished anecdotes um yeah i was totally just like wow that is john was terry sticks there as well because i can't imagine two greater raconteurs on stage he was uh, he was on stage with Colin Baker. Um, actually, the, um, they put the two doctors on stage uh, who interviewed each other. Um, but Elizabeth Sladen was there as well, so it was uh, it's pretty pretty amazing convention, really. Yeah, sounds terrific. Barry Lett says, you know, um, 
about John Pertwee. He goes, you know, uh, John Pertwee t- tells these stories. Uh, he goes, it's 50% truth, 50% fiction. And every time he tells them, they become more about John Pertwee than actually. Yeah. <laughs> have you, have you as long as he tells it well. The, I've heard him say say that, that you know, he's, he's told these stories so often he's started to believe them. Um, <laughs> I think the, Kenny uh, Manning's the same, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it, just to go back to the episode, the lightning as the Daleks go across the, the floor looks really, really good. It looks better than it does in the Five Doctors when they do the similar sort of thing, I think. Uh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think the, um, the shots on the floor as well look very good. Yeah. They vanish too. Cool. But if you read Barry Leck's autobiography uh, or memoir, the oh, um, it's so good. I've heard his, I heard the audio version of it, but it only goes yes. up to the demons, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Expect another volume, actually. Yeah, but that there's a story that he tells, and it's like he even all those years later, he wants to set the record straight. That um, John Pertwee tells the story that when they went out on the hovercraft, that Pertwee could control it and Barry Letts couldn't. And uh, and he says like that never happened at all. Like it was fine. I just brought it back in. Perky <laughs> tells the story that they were all having lunch and that he was like just riding around the seat. Didn't get. <laughs> oh, he also. Um, I, I don't know if it's on this one. It's on one of the commentaries that Perky went in and demanded extra money, and then um, when he said no, he quit. And Baronet says that's complete nonsense. Like yeah. he would have come and spoken to me, and that conversation never happened. <laughs> But you know, who cares? Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's, uh, it's... All right, I'm going to hit you with another one of these questions. Otherwise, I'm going to ask you them. Um, okay. What is your presiding memory of watching this story as a child? I think it's the Daleks. It was the first time I'd ever seen the Daleks. Um, so yeah, it was uh, having read probably a lot of the Target novels by this stage, actually seeing them and hearing them for the first time. Uh, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's that's my overriding memory of it. How about you? Um, I think it was probably the atmosphere, but I was really scared watching this. Like, this and Terror of the Zygons really frightened me. Yeah. Um, and they're both quite dark, shadowy, blood. I think I was a bit of a wimpy kid, if I'm honest with you. Um, I, was a bit, I was scared of the dark. So, you know, anything. Sure, definitely episode one, I remember, yeah, finding quite scary. And you know that thing when you're kids where you try and get people to watch stuff as well. You're like, oh, this is great. And I would try and show it to my friends and cousins and stuff. Um, and like my young cousins were just like, this is too scary, like knock it off sort of thing. And everyone else was just like, not interested, not interested. Well, <laughs> I never converted anybody to being a fan. You would have got to the bit in a minute where it's like, human prisoner has escaped. I have failed. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, what is this nonsense? Honestly. It's crazy, oh, isn't it? What's this fella sitting there watching them on the screen? The, this is this is Terry Walsh. Um, oh, he's, uh, he looks terrible. I'm telling you, <laughs> they they hired an extra to do this, and the extra couldn't keep still enough, so they sacked him and put Terry Walsh in the costume and uh, and got him to sit there, just sit there very still. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite menacing, isn't it? But there's there's like a an element of. Um, like the Daleks, they're, they're being watched on cameras. Yeah. It's, it sort of builds up to something that doesn't happen, doesn't it, as well? You think this is going to be the uh, the overlord of everything. That's There's going to be a confrontation. Yeah, although the effect I really like when he sort of crumples away to nothing. Yeah. 
because suppose you sort of think it's a bit like the uh, the master of the land of fiction who wants somebody to replace him that all these intelligence tests w- would appear to be only letting somebody of a certain ability mm. get to the get to this control room or whatever the city in order to say right well now you are the the mind that's going to control it but it doesn't go there where, where you'd expect it to and you know, you might say that the ending is a little bit too easy that the doctor just kind of like pulls some circuits out gets his screwdriver out and puts it in again and it is but then you have those great scenes of the antibodies coming out they're beating the shit out of the daleks yeah. he grabs one of the guns and literally just like tears it in half yeah, it's it's really well done, and yeah, you don't really get a good look at them as well. It makes them scary as they're forming, and and then you see them walk off. You don't really see what they look like, what they at are. At one point, you see the face, and it's it's a bit like you remember that guy whose face melts off in um, Resurrection of the Daleks. It's kind of nasty yeah. like that, and they do that wonderful thing where um, they're firing their guns, and you actually see the bullets explode from their chest. Yeah. I always love that. Yeah, the squibs going off or whatever, isn't it? Honestly, I'll probably wet my bed as a kid watching this, I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. It's not explained, is it? But I wonder if they're, they're sort of not fully formed because of the urgency, like the city doesn't have time to to, to fully put them together. It would, yeah, it would kind of uh, suggest something like that, wouldn't it? Okay, so my next question for you is this, <laughs> is how do you think this would have been different if... Terence Dix had script edited this. Because he script edited Monster of Peladon, which comes next. And it's quite different in tone to this. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose, like we've said, it, it feels like the darker elements come from Robert Holmes. So the uh, you know, the dying commander's wishes, that that bit where he's covered in blood, he's dying, he's, he's trying to sort of impart his his dying orders. And the way that Galloway sort of closes his eyes and then holds his hand there and says to him, sorry, I didn't hear you. That, that's that slight, uh, slightly meaner bit that you, you get later on, isn't it, in the, in the early Tom Baker stuff. from, like from Terrence Dix is far more like... Um, optimistic. Yeah. And he's more about clean plotting and the sort of the <laughs> adventurousness of the story. And Robert Holmes is a bit more brutal, and yeah, yeah, it may be the maybe the the sort of the ending would be a bit more, I suppose, totally consistent with the rest of the story. If uh, you know, if Tom sticks, it's yeah, it's interesting to speculate, isn't it? Well, while we're on the subject of speculation, here's another one for you. It's like Mastermind, this, isn't it? Doctor Who Mastermind. Do you think that the new series would play about with the ideas of Daleks without weapons and the living city? And how would it play out differently from this? Ooh. I think I think if they if you're doing Daleks without weapons, that would be, you know, as I was saying before, the Daleks being forced to work with the humans and finding cleverer ways to, to get what they want. It would all be about manipulation, wouldn't it? It would be about turning the humans against each other or getting them to do something they didn't want to do, but tricking them. I think that would be the focus of the episode. It would be more, more about the characters. Psychologically probing rather than... Yeah. Oh, Mark, this scene terrified me as a kid. I yeah. could not figure out, in my little head, I couldn't figure out what on earth was going on with these hypno lights. 
yeah, it's it's really um, yeah, it's quite overwhelming, isn't it? It's like a, and also, if you've got epilepsy, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's painful to look at, really, isn't it? It's kind of really uncomfortable to to see not just the doctor in pain, but the the brightness and the uh, yeah. I <laughs> I never liked um, adults like afraid and hysterics mm. and all of this like you do not exist i think i was just, just like what is going on what are they get like yeah i was yeah. i was hugging onto my mother's knee that's where i sat and watched doctor who on the floor by my mum's legs he looks genuinely terrible afterwards as well but we there um when, when his hands come down from his face he looks really like he's been through an ordeal doesn't he well, it's a funny thing because I think Pertwee in 11 and Baker in 18 both look visibly aged mm. in their final seasons. Yeah. Whereas in 10 and 17, they both still look quite young and fresh and it's, it's old. Yeah, you know, the, the difference in, in Pertwee's five years as well is, is, is quite marked, isn't it? It's like He's 50, it's like he's aged from 50 to 55, but it, it feels like he's aged more. Honestly, Mark, I feel like you know what questions I've written out. You've just given me a perfect segue <laughs> into my final question for tonight. And that is, we well, just talked about the five to- uh, John Pertwee seasons. What's mm-hmm. your favourite and why as an overall season? And I'll be very interested <laughs> if you say 11, because it ain't mine. I don't know if I've got a favourite season. I think I think more so than any other doctor, there's there's a consistency across them. But season seven is quite different, isn't it? But but once you get into season eight, I think because you've got the same behind the scenes people, you've got the regular stable of writers that they keep drawing on. I don't know. I've got I've got favourite stories out of each of them. Really, I, I don't think I don't think any of them stand out more than any others. You could put together my perfect season, probably taking a story from each one. Oh, go for it. Go um, for it. It would have to be Spearhead. Okay. Oh, no Inferno, man. that's interesting. I love Inferno as well. But but yeah, Spearhead just edges it for me, I think. Okay. Uh, then what? Don't want the Autons again, maybe. Okay, so Spearhead from Space, Mind of Evil. Yeah. Uh, what's in the next? <laughs> this is where I can't quite remember what's in the next. Nice, Day of the Daleks, Curse of Peladon, Sea Devils, Mutants, Time Monster. Oh man, Sea Devils. Okay. Yeah, I love Sea Devils. Three Doctors, Carnival of Monsters, Planet of the Daleks. Three Doctors. Okay, yeah. and obviously season eleven, Death to the Daleks. Oh, hang on, oh, hang on. We didn't get to Green Death, did we? In hey, yeah, <laughs> didn't let you get far enough because as soon as you said the three Doctors, uh, I mean, the Green Death would have to be in there. I think that um, seven is the most accomplished year in terms of like the productions, but it's just too cold yes. for me. I, I think it's very good at what it's doing. But it's a bit too yeah. difficult for me. Uh, whereas 10, I 
just adore 10. I think it's colourful and imaginative and exciting. I love yeah. the story. I think the Pertwee Manning chemistry is tight. Mm-hmm. It's got amazing villains. It's just got everything I love about Doctor Who. Yeah. So that'd be my thing. What is this all about with this Dalek having a nervous breakdown? Yeah, it's it, it doesn't help to uh it doesn't help them to make them a credible threat, does it? Well, I feel like at the end, you know, when he's going like uh his head's supposed to blow off. Yeah. They forgot to do it. It's and and I really it's crazy because I really like the scene in remembrance where the doctor just sort of talks the Dalek into having a similar kind of breakdown. But the script in there is yeah, but here it does seem like a huge overreaction. <laughs> well, Dalek's not been known to have a paddy, you know. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I noticed a moment ago, Arnold Yarrow, when he was walking around, he's like, you know, have a look around and that. And he was holding himself in a very, like, my other half. Um, but I don't know, he's always acting. Like, yeah. He's, he's always doing something, isn't he? Uh, whereas, Jill Tarrant is it's just like somebody standing there waiting for the next line. Um, not not to pick on her, but she's she's not very naturalistic, is she? Um, whereas yeah, he's like you say he's always doing something. Yeah, look at the look. Do you see their faces? Yeah, they're they are the, almost like the hemophores a little bit as well, aren't they? With the sort of puckering. And I just love the way, yeah, like, one of them literally just starts smacking his head. Like, yeah. <laughs> That is great. It just rips the arm right out. I suppose it is doing surprising things till the end, then, or unusual things. Yeah. Yeah, because they they've just come from nowhere, haven't they? There and they're a different size and build. Like they've gone for sort of tall, skinny people, whereas for the Exelons, they've gone for the smaller people. Yeah. It's... And I remember as a kid thinking, uh, you know, with the doors coming down, I remember thinking, they're not going to get out. They're not, I was like really in suspense yeah. that they weren't going to escape the Susie. Oh, and, and you know the bit right at the end with the screaming and all the walls melting and that? Yeah. Like, in my head, I remember that being really epic. <laughs> when I watch it now, mm. the memory cheats, <laughs> Mark. It does, doesn't it? It's still, it's quite unsettling still, though. Yeah. I think you do get the sense of an organism dying, not just the city crumbling because of the weird, the weird sounds. Yeah, it's like uh, it is like something dying, isn't it? And what is the most bastard move the Daleks could possibly make? Well, we're taking all the perineum. We're going to bomb the planet. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Yeah, they're unrelentingly evil. It's a weird one that you've got them at their mercy and it's like, no, we'll take off and then launch a missile at you. Don't even say, oh, we don't need to bother because we're going to bomb mm. the planet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, plus they, they want to make the, the planet unusable as well, don't they, so that nobody else can come and get any more perineum. It's a shame, you know, I think um, here and those scenes towards the end of the episode, this is over there now and it does look yeah. like a studio. It's still not a terrible design, but like you remember those scenes in episode one. Yeah, if if, if the planet had always been dark and misty and weirdly lit throughout, that yeah, that would have been terrific. 
oh, these were the scenes. These were the scenes in the special features where Pertwee was losing his rag. Yeah. Yeah, he keeps having to, to retake it. And uh, yeah. What's my line? Oh, sorry. What? <laughs> He's getting really <laughs> stroppy. Well, well, he could be a little bit vicious, couldn't he? Yeah. The, the nice bits in the making of where Arnold Yarrow talks about the limited visibility in his costume. So Pertwee helped him in various, and then once you know that, you spot where he's got his hand on his shoulder or he sort of seems to be guiding him a little bit. It's really, really interesting listening to the guest characters that come onto the commentaries because Barry Letts, um, you know, speaks very highly of how uh, John Pertwee sort of pulled together a company, made mm. everybody feel at home. But you get the odd actor. So um, Jill Tarrant, has some things to say in this commentary and the person who plays major daly's daughter in carnival of monsters they both say he was definitely the star of the show and he wanted everyone yeah. to know it you know so i think he did have a bit of an ego but yeah we well, hear about um when delgado came aboard and, and delgado's more prominent in the photo on the radio oh. time he didn't like that he was he didn't like uh, Patrick Trout coming back, he was worried they didn't get that many scenes together because he didn't want to be upstaged. And yeah, you feel like there was uh, that was that was definitely an element of his uh, of his ego or whatever his personality. It's a bit of an unfair question. Do you think he's phoning it in in his last couple of stories? I don't. I don't. I don't see that. No. I actually think he gives his best performance in Planet of the Spiders, some of those scenes in Planet of the Spiders. There's great stuff. And I think the the, the moments he has with Sarah Jane, the, the, like the few moments in here, I think he are really, really good. He's really, you know, responding to to her being such a good actor. It's it's you know, sort of really bringing that bringing that out in him. Yeah, I I I kind of would have liked another year with the two of them, I think. Or if she had come along when he was well, like when his era was kind of at its peak, you know. Yeah, it's that thing, isn't it? It's like sort of bringing bringing Bill in in, in series ten, yeah. um, and uh, and Dan in, in 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 into Flux, isn't it? It's like getting a really interesting or very likable character into a Doctor's final series. I'm going to uh, add Connor to that list as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's the one season companions in the new series that I love the most. Yeah. Well, no, that's not going to Clara and Amy. All right. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, you know, the eleventh Doctor and Clara as well. Only got like half a, a series together, so you know, it would have been interesting to get more of them as well, maybe. But uh, I know that um, not everybody likes Clara the way that I do. <laughs> I don't, but the fact that you do is marvelous. Do you know what? They all tell me I'm wrong now. They all come at me telling me I'm wrong. You started it, all right? <laughs> Here's the, the Dalek buttons. There's something really sort of like button moon, isn't there, about them? <laughs> oh, my God, button moon. Yeah. <laughs> that was literally a wooden spoon with yes. hair, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, look. Now, that tin can exploding there like that, that's uh, that's an incredible special effect. Yeah. It? I do feel sorry for Galloway there, though. That's uh... There's no way... That Terry Nation scripted the last line. That uh, uh, now the universe is down to seven hundred ninety-nine. Yeah. <laughs> or was it six hundred ninety-nine? Yeah, six six hundred ninety-nine. Yeah. 
yeah this, uh, when i was a kid this was the most mm -hmm. epic thing i'd ever seen yeah i agree and and now you can see it's it's melting polystyrene but i would never have thought that when i was a kid like i, I a bit that's where where you can see like the dripping down. I I, mm -hmm. I think I genuinely felt like that building was bleeding. You know. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, um, isn't it? It's not saying. It's a shame to grow up. Yeah, I always think that about um, survival. Like I watched that when I was eight, and just ex they did not spot that the kitlings were animatronic, anything like that. Years later, you know, when I watched it on VHS, I was like. That is such <laughs> like anything like a real cat. It's uh, but yeah, you just as a kid, you're much more accepting of what's presented to you, and you and you're told it is. Yeah, and yeah. there are there, there are some stories like as an adult that kind of live up to the productions, don't they? Some mm -hmm. like Warriors Gate, Terror of Cycles is a good one. Oh, the Scarisan. Actually, I was convinced that was a real monster. Yeah, as a kid, yeah. <laughs> just go show on. My God, it ended. When did it end? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, look, I'm going to hit you with, this, with the usual question. Uh, between us, we need to find six reasons to recommend Death to the Daleks to all of those naysayers out there. We'll do one each, back and, back and forth. Off you go. Uh, well, Daleks with machine guns. Uh, it, it's brilliant. It looks, it, they, they look great. And it's a great, you know, the doctor sets it up. He says they're brilliant engineers. And then, yeah, very shortly afterwards, you see that they've uh, they designed these guns. So, yeah, that's really cool. Um, I'm going to say the John Pertwee and Elizabeth Sladen chemistry, which I mm. think is is at its peak. Like, it's not the best use of her in this story, but the two of them together, it might be some of their best moments. Yeah, and given how little they are together in, in this story, those moments really shine. Uh, I'll say Arnold Yarrow as Bilal. He gives a very, very compelling performance. He goes from what you think is going to be a monster, the way he's creeping around after Sarah Jane, just see his hands, to a really, really endearing character who, yeah, like, would have been very interesting and likeable companion. People will think I'm mad, but I'm going to say the score, which is very quirky, very alien at times. There's like a <laughs> lot of violins and the shrieking. And stuff like that and i think at the time with all the special the sound effects and the music i was really sort of transported to this weird place when i was a kid so yeah maybe i can see now that tonally in places it's a bit jarring it's just there it's, the nostalgia's there so i i'm not gonna fight it and, and and some thought went into that as well i think that um they they didn't want to use synthesizers because the, the whole setup is that there's no power, there's no electricity on this planet. So they wanted to use acoustic stuff in, instead of a synthesizer. Um, and I think um, Kerry Blyton as well didn't really like synthesizers and stuff because he felt like it was putting musicians out of work. So he brought this uh, sort of quartet of musicians in and, and scored it as well. So th it's nice that there is there's actually thought behind that. It wasn't just... Let's uh, let's bring this guy in that nobody likes. He uses that scrapey thing, doesn't he? That we had at school. Yeah. That, rick, rick, that thing. Do you know what that's called? I don't. But yeah, I do remember that from school. Now that you mention it, <laughs> we won't create like Harry Blighton. Now I'm telling you, yeah. we've been shoved into a mental institution. Okay, <laughs> your last one. 
the the last one it's kind of two in one i suppose i was going to say the location it's not it's not unique to this story to use a quarry but i say that the location in conjunction with the direction really looks like an alien planet those those long tracking shots and vistas with all the sort of dunes and the pools um and then as it's moving you realize that what you think is a rock is an exelon just when his cloak flaps a little bit and things like that i think yeah so mainly the direction but, but the use of the uh, the location by mike lee bryant as well and my last one is going to be the like memorable imagery that hits throughout the story mm -hmm. so excellence blending into the sarah jane coming out of the mist the pov shot in the tardis of her being attacked uh the root coming up and um knocking the dalek into the water like i think even the right down to the antibodies at the end i just think there's mm -hmm. a sort of very unusual very striking imagery in this yeah. thing. And the Dalek being on fire, the Dalek and the Exelon being on fire, like that's pretty scary. I think if you're a kid as well, like being on fire is uh, is a pretty terrifying thought. And actually, I'm just going to throw in the brutality as well, you know, because I think if you take mm. out, so it wouldn't feel as kind of as oppressive and as dangerous as it does. Yeah. If it was all, all played a bit more sort of Planet of the Daleks. Yeah. Well. That just leaves me to say a massive thank you for taking this trip down memory lane with me. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Um, it's, it's a great story. And may I just say uh, how much I admire your restraint uh, about the, the word perineum being in the, uh, the story so much. Uh, <laughs> Don't you be coming to me, all right, making me be rude. OK, I... <laughs> I generally control myself when I'm around you, you know. <laughs> I've got all these gay guys coming on and I'm terror. But, you know, <laughs> when it's you and Fraser Gregory, I tend to behave myself. Oh, well, I much appreciated that. <laughs> um, before we chip out of this, I am mm -hmm. determined, determined to hear another take on the Stephen Moffat era with you. Um, yeah. and, uh, seasons where there is a, a huge gap <laughs> within my podcast. Um, okay. So I would like you right now to choose a Matt Smith and a Peter Capaldi episode that you'd like to talk about in the future. Yeah, definitely. Uh, which is there any particular ones that that nobody's choosing or any? Uh, most of them are still free. I'll just say yeah or nay if they're already taken. Uh, let me think. Oh, you know, <laughs> I can't think of a single story. This is, this is great podcasting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, my mind's gone completely blank. Um, what? You know what? The... Season six has barely been touched. Series six, you know, the, the silence. Uh, the Doctor's Wife. Has not been taken. Let's do it. Okay. And Capaldi? The Doctor's Wife. And uh, has Flatline been done? Yes. Mummy on the Orient Express. Yes. Yeah, they're the popular ones that people <laughs> like. I need to. I need to. No one's taken in the forest of the night, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is probably my least favourite one. Uh, um, what else? What about? Uh, yeah, I know you've done. You've done Death in Heaven, haven't you? Um, Do you know what I'd love to talk about? If you've been up for it, into the Dalek. Yeah, yeah, I love Into the Dalek, yeah. And do you know why? 
because I really didn't like that when it first came out. And every single time yeah. I've watched that, I've liked it more. Now I love it. Great. Yeah. And that's uh, that's his second one, isn't it? Yeah, because we did. So we did Deep Breath. We, we can continue with uh, with Into Dalek. That's great. Sorry, that was so painful and I couldn't think of any stories. <laughs> <laughs> Your favourite era as well. Shame on you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a double whammy. The Doctor's Wife and Into the Dalek. Definitely. Wow. Until then. We'll see you then. <laughs>